Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We'll begin in verse 14 in just a moment, if you have that available to you. Um, if you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers, and we're grateful you're with us today. We've been using this series through the life of Jesus, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and synchronizing them into a chronology, and we are in the final week of Jesus' earthly life, uh, and we are going to enter into the night that he uh, prepares and shows his disciples what the Lord's Supper uh, is all about. And yet it's one of those passages that I'm a little bit concerned that you'll go, oh, I know this, and you do, but do you see it for all that it can be? Uh, when I was in college, I took a, a course called Theological Themes in Contemporary Literature. And basically, it was a course where the professor took us to, sh- to movies and television programs and some current authorship or uh, writings, and he showed us the dimensions that you don't see in a cursory reading. Like, do you have a movie that you've watched several times or a book that you've watched several times that y- you, you know what the storyline's going, but you learn something every time you reread it or you rewatch it, yeah? Am I- Am I the only one? Any West Wing fans out there? Okay, so I know it's been off the air for 20 years. One of the best written shows ever. There's movies like The Fisher King, and there's movies like Shawshank Redemption, that the more you watch them, the more you see nuances. This professor took us to a particular scene, and he would show us movies, and he would take us to some readings, and he'd say, what's being said there? And one of the things he taught us is that there's more on a film. Like, there's some movies and television shows that are simply meant to entertain us. They're trying to make us laugh, they're trying to make us cry, or they're trying to make us scared. And we join into those. Every now and then someone will say something to me, and it, it's funny, I get it. They're like, well, I don't read books to think, I just want to be, okay, great. But you're missing some of the best stuff out there if you can't engage your mind in what you're seeing and understanding. And so you learn things like directors will give you an angle on a shot, or they will give you a perspective from up high or down low, and the, the language just on a page isn't depicting actually what's taking place until an actor reveals it, and there's so many things that happen, and this professor kind of blew my mind and changed the way, basically my wife will say I ruined films for her, but it basically the way I watch them and dissect them and digest them. And I want you to see today that for many times when we talk about the Lord's Supper, too many of us want to fall into this. What are the instructions? How am I supposed to do it? And instead, I'd like to reframe it this morning by looking at what is written in the text. And instead of instructing you on how to do it, let you know why we do it. Refresh you with why Jesus did what he did, how he brought it into a particular historical context. And he used that context to draw out many images that we might miss if all we do is say, eat and drink the cup and the bread. If we do those things and we just take instruction rather than inspiration, we may miss the invitation that Jesus is giving us. What I'd like to do this morning is take three truths that Jesus does on the night he shares at the Passover meal with his disciples. He is explaining to them what he's about to do through the cross. And the Passover meal is associative to the cross. And by learning that, these three things... I'm hoping this morning when we take the Lord's Supper together that it might be a refreshing time for you. I am not trying to correct you today. I'd just like you to see the movie again, read the book again, 
and look for those subtle nuances that make a difference in how we participate in the Lord's Supper because it's not a how-to. It's a why we do it. Let me show you the three things I see. Jesus' death on the cross is the turning point of all history. I'd like to explain to you for just a moment what that all means. Look at verse 14 through 16 with me. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes the Passover. This is the night before Jesus is murdered. And he's going to explain to them what he's about to do. And he's going to show them what the cross will do. But he uses the Passover meal to bring them into awareness. The same way he does with us each and every time we can and get together to remember him in the Lord's Supper. But he uses the Passover, which for many of us might be, oh yeah, yeah, I know the story, but I need you to see the imagery. I need you to see the camera angles and the word choices and the way Jesus is playing this out for that group of men sitting around that table that particular night. Why does he choose the Passover? Well, the Passover, if you know from the book of Exodus, is that it's a word that means the celebration, the festival celebration that they were told by God to do annually because God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt, 400 years of being oppressed, and God freed them, walked them through the suffering and trials of the wilderness to trust him and deliver them into the promised land 40 years later. And the Passover, God said, I want you to celebrate this every year. I want you to gather. And it was a beautiful symbolic meal called the Seder meal. And it would have many, many things that Jesus would incorporate from the the Passover Seder meal into the night that he would teach them why he does the Lord's Supper. And I hope not to choke you with a bunch of details, but I really want you to, to do is show you this text and let you see it again and see some of the things you might have missed the first time you read it. See, the Passover was a meal where the patriarch, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some clues today, and then I'm going to ask you two questions, because I know how much this church loves to talk back to me when I ask questions in a sermon, because you hate it. So I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to give you some clues if you pay attention, because it's a simple quiz. So what happens is, they would have the meal, and the patriarch of the home, the oldest living male, whether it was the grandfather, great-grandfather, or father, would stand up, and he would take the first cup, and the youngest child at the table would ask this man the question, and the question would simply be, why is tonight different from all other nights? Why are we doing this? And the father would begin to tell the story of the Israelites taken into Egypt and taken into slavery and how God in his faithfulness would reveal himself and his power and his care and deliver them out. And it would all be commemorated in this Passover moment I'll talk about in just a few moments. And so here you have the setting. And Jesus takes this moment Because they would say things like in Deuteronomy 25 and Deuteronomy 16, they would quote verses that talked about the bread of their affliction, their oppression, the bitterness of their journey and their struggles. And there would be moments in the Passover meal where where the, the patriarch of the home would break the bread and he would dip it in this mixture of berries and herbs and it was bitter, it was sour. Now some of you don't love that and some of us really, really love that. And so... He would give them to them, and they would taste the bitterness on this bread. And from the children to the oldest in the home, they would remember that life is hard, and there's suffering, and there's trials, and yet God is faithful. And this would be depicted. And Jesus is using the elements of this meal to talk about what he's going to do. And if you pay close attention, when Jesus takes the first cup, and there would be four cups of wine during this meal, when he takes the first cup, verse 17... He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What Jesus does very subtly here, but beautifully, is the Passover meal was a remembrance of what had happened in the past. And what Jesus does is he takes it from the remembrance of what has happened in the past. And he says, what happened in the past is happening right now and will happen in your future. He extends the Passover from a historical moment to a future promise. And he says, and I will not drink this cup of wine with you again until I do it in my kingdom. There's a future with the Passover now that there wasn't. It was always in the past. And now it has this powerful moment of Jesus saying, we will, we will eat and drink again. And there will be a delay between this time and the next time, which focuses the Passover no longer on just God's faithfulness in the past, but God's faithfulness carrying forward into our future. Verse 19, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus does not say that this bread is the affliction of the past or this wine is the bitterness of the past or these herbs and these, these berries are the bitterness of the past, this paste on the bread. What he's actually saying is, no, no, I am you, the bread. I am the new Passover lamb. I am the one being broken for you. He just reframes this whole thing so subtly and clearly that the disciples around the table are thinking, I've never been at a Passover like this because it's the new covenant. It's the new promise. It's the new future that Jesus is about to deliver by going to the cross. When he chooses the Passover, he is bringing all of God's promises together in himself. He is saying this is the final Passover. And there will be no need for Passovers from this moment on because I am going to deliver you out of your slavery, through your wilderness, and into the promised land. And this is the moment when history went from our past into our future. At the cross, Jesus took care of the sin of the past by bringing us into the kingdom future that only he could provide. Secondly, Jesus' death on the cross created a new community. And it's interesting here when I, I want to show you that there's not as much history on this, but I want you to see just a couple of camera angles, if you will, a couple of word choices that are very, very interesting and distinct about what Jesus is doing that night as he heads toward the cross. Verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. That's a powerful moment. Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to be turned over to suffer, and the person who's going to bring about my suffering is sitting here. The Son of Man will go as if he had been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, but those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. It is absolutely frightening how much human nature is undefeated. On a night that Jesus is depicting that I'm going to suffer and I'm going to bring you into my kingdom and I'm going to do something that has never been imagined. I'm going to give you a greater Passover than the Israelites got coming out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver you through your wilderness into my promised land that there could actually be a momentary thought, nevertheless an actual argument about which one of them were going to have power and prestige and authority in the new kingdom. Luke is the only one of the four gospel authors to tell us that this took place at the Last Supper. The others leave that detail out. 
But Luke wants us to see that human nature is undefeated. We are all selfish at our core and always trying to figure out how to make our own way. But I want you to see what Jesus does here, which is quite interesting. And here's where our quiz comes. Are you ready? At the cross, Jesus introduced new family. He created a new concept of family unlike anything that preexisted it. Family was always about what name were you born under and, and were you in the proper uh, cast of people and were you given the opportunities? Were you born rich? Were you born famous? Were you born powerful? And Jesus changes all of that. So here's my pop quiz. First question you may not know the answer to, so don't feel dumb. Just try it. Who did people celebrate the Passover with? Their family. That's correct. Notice that Jesus has the Passover with his disciples and who's not with them? Their families. Now, here's the second question of the pop quiz. Some of you are shooting, well, one of you is shooting for 100%, and the other is shooting for 50%, all right? Who led the Passover meal with their family? The patriarch, the oldest living male, would stand at the table and deliver this. Who's standing at this Passover meal and delivering this? We don't even know if Jesus is the oldest person at the table. Jesus is stepping into the role of our Father. Why? Because he is God, and he can do that. And instead of gathering the biological family together, Jesus gathers his family together, and he is our father. He is our leader. He is our Lord. And he assumes that role, and nobody else wants it because the right guy is standing up doing what he's doing. And for many of us, you might remember, Jesus has taught us in this series that loyalty to him would cause division between father and son, mother and daughter, brother and sister. This is not Jesus' intention is to ruin our families. It's to strengthen it by faith. You see, what he's trying to tell us is the blood that covers us has to be greater than the blood that runs within us. And even in this room, there are some of us struggling because we know what Jesus is calling us to do, but it will cause problems with mom and dad, brothers and sisters, friends and relationships. And we don't think Jesus should ever cause tension in our home but he's already forecast. Loyalty to me means loyalty to me. And it will never be a bad thing for us to give our loyalty. It won't ruin relationships. It'll actually enhance them, but it will cost us something. And Jesus gives us a new family where the blood that covers us will be greater than the blood that runs within us. And then he gives us a kingdom. Look at verses 27 through 29. For who is the greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. Jesus says, is the person being served greater than the person serving? And we all assume, yeah, right? Because if I got someone waiting on me all the time and serving my purposes... If I got someone bringing me whatever I want and however I want, it's no difference to me. They just do what I want. Isn't that person great? In our culture, it is. We would look at that and go, yeah, that person has power. That person has place. That person has authority. And Jesus said, no, in my kingdom, you give up your place, your power, and your authority, and you serve like I'm about to serve you. He said, in my kingdom, it's not about who has control. It's about who refuses to be controlled by those things. And he said, and if you do, if you live out the life I'm telling you to live, as my Father has assigned me a kingdom, I will assign you a kingdom. It's so counterproductive to our world, so countercultural. to simply, Jesus says, no, not only will I bring you new family, but I will bring you 
a new kingdom, and it will be a place where everybody fits. And I will assign you in my kingdom a role, and it will be the role of a servant, and it will be the best role you ever play. And the cross reward is the most unlikely. You think about it in our culture. Who are the leaders in our world? The ones with the most success, the most money, the best looks, the best family, the best opportunities. But in Jesus' community, who are the leaders? The biggest repenters. The people who actually realize I have no right to demand anything of Jesus, yet he's going to give me a role. He's going to give me an opportunity. As we like to say around here, God has not called us to be important. God's called called us to be useful. And our usefulness is by taking the opportunities he provides, not the ones we want. It's serving in the way we can. Verse Verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These men were just arguing about who the greatest and Jesus said, none of you. And he says, but one day, should you learn the lesson I'm about to depict to you? If you understand that those that were called out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land were not called because they were great, they were called because they were loved. That Jesus is offering to bring us into a new community, a new kingdom, and he's going he's gonna to draw the most unlikely of saved people. So the death on the cross, using the Passover, is that this is the moment in time that God is going to move us from our past into our future, that he's going to create a new community where we will have a king who will be our father and we will be royal heirs to this throne and we will serve and love our father not because we seek a reward because we already have it, And he's going to be inviting people that don't seem to fit, but fit perfectly. And thirdly, Jesus' death on the cross is the solution to a great mystery. So let me explain this. God said to Moses, I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world with the greatest armies and the most influence and can kill you anytime he wants to. I want you to go tell him to let go of all of his slaves. Tell him to, God wants his people back. And of course, Pharaoh says no multiple times. And God says, okay, Moses, I want you to go. Remember Moses said to to God, who am I to go talk to him? And God said, you're nobody, but go and tell him I said so. And Moses goes back and he brings these things called plagues. Now, for many of us, this is that moment in the story where you go, yeah, I know this story, but hold on. I want you to notice the nuances. Have you realized that every single plague that Moses brought on Pharaoh was an attack against one of Pharaoh's gods? Every single one of them. They would worship these inanimate objects or these concepts. And God said, let me show you what your gods are capable of doing. The gnats, the frogs, the the boils, the water, the sun. All of those things were attacked and shown to be deficit of any power and any authority. And at the end of it, when Pharaoh was still so full of hubris and anger and resentment at being proven that he was buying into a lie, Pharaoh rebelled and God said, I'm going to send my angel of justice. He told Moses this. And I want you to go tell the people in Egypt. And I need you to pay attention to the small, these are the camera angles and the flipping of phrases and the coloring schemes that we may miss if we rush through this. Instead of just sitting down and letting God direct us through these scenes. What Moses did was Moses told both Egyptians and Jews that the justice of God is coming down and none of us can stand for it. If you think for a moment that you're going to stand before the justice of God and the truth of God and say, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, you did. And the only thing we're ever going to assume when we stand in the justice of God is condemnation. 
It's the only true verdict. Did you rebel against God and reject his goodness in your life? And every single person in this room has to answer honestly, I do and I have. And so to stand before justice, Moses said, but here's what God's going to offer you. Take a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb. Don't get that janky lamb that you could get rid of at a garage sale. The one you don't want anymore? You know, with the bad leg in the eye? Don't. Go get the perfect lamb that could, that could get you a lot of money at market, that you could breed a fine herd with. Go get that lamb, and God says, and if you trust me, give that lamb's life up. Slaughter that lamb and spread the blood over the doorposts of your home. And if you put the, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your home, when my angel of justice comes that night to both the Egyptian homes, the Gentiles, and the Jewish homes, when he comes, if there's blood over the doorpost, the oldest living child of each family, and there could be four or five in a house at a time for the Passover as the family gathered, they will live through the night. If they don't, they will face the justice of God and they will be reclaimed by God and they will die. But notice that Moses didn't say to the Jews, Psst, our secret. No, it wasn't about your ethnicity. It wasn't whether you were Jewish or Egyptian or Gentile. It wasn't whether you were powerful or weak, rich or poor, male or female, healthy or unhealthy. It was simply, can you trust him? And those that gave the Passover lamb and put the blood over their doorpost that night when the angel of God's justice came on earth, those that were covered by the blood lived and those who were not covered by the blood died. It had nothing to do with ethnicity, power, or status. And you and I must understand this, that what Jesus is offering us that night at the table is not how religious you are or what your ethnicity is and God forbid what nation you live in or what political party you vote for. None of those things have any standard. Are you covered in the blood of the Lamb? That's the only thing the angel's looking for. And Jesus was saying that night at the table, I'm your Lamb. And if you're covered by my blood, you will escape the slavery that has dominated and oppressed your life, and I will walk you through the struggling and suffering wilderness to get you to my promised land. Will you follow me? And those that were covered by the blood of the Lamb left their homes and they entered to a 40-year path through the wilderness. It shouldn't have been that long. It should have been three months, but they did it to themselves. And yet, was God faithful to deliver them to the promised land? And Jesus tells us that night, there's been speculation about that evening, and I don't know how deep this goes, but it's interesting to me. There was speculation that there's no mention in the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about this night, whether they ever ate the lamb. And a very poetic moment, one of the uh, books I read said there's no lamb on the table because the lamb was at the table. And he went to the Garden of Eden, or excuse me, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed a prayer. This is hard. Do you want me to do it? And God said yes, and Jesus went through with it. You see, in verse 15, I want you to remember where Jesus started his explanation of why the Passover would now be related in a new way. In verse 15, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's a fascinating response. Actually, I'm told in the original language, he says, with desire, I desire this. With passionate desire. But I want you to notice that he doesn't just say, I wanted to have one more Passover with you before I go. He says, I want to have one more Passover with you before I what? Suffer. To follow Jesus will cost us something. 
It will cost us a wilderness life of doing without some of the comforts of Egypt to follow him faithfully to the promised land. But he will always deliver us, whether it's the manna, the bread found in the wilderness or water out of rocks. God is capable of providing everything we need if we trust him. And Jesus said that night, as he took that glass of wine, he took that bread and he broke it. He said, it is no longer about your past, it is about your future. You see, here at Christ Church, we have made a choice. And I don't say this to justify anything. I just want to explain because so many people come in and out that they may be new. We choose as a church every week to take the Lord's Supper. Now, you, I know some people have kind of picked on us a little bit because you notice the vernacular has changed just a little bit. And we've been calling it recently the table of Jesus or Jesus' table. And some people are like, well, you know, it's just what... No, you can call it Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist. You can call it anything as long as you're actually dealing with what Jesus talked about. And the reason we've used that terminology is because we want to refresh the room by saying Jesus is inviting us to his table. He said, one day I will drink again of this wine and I will eat this bread with you in my kingdom. And that's what he's inviting us to. You see, this is not about how we do the Lord's Supper. This is why we get to do the Lord's Supper. This is why we get to celebrate and enjoy and depending on your, your background, some, some of you grew up taking communion once a month in your church or uh, twice a year or annually, and we sit in judgment on none of that. That's fine. Because there actually is no scripture that says you have to do it so many times, and you have to do it so many different ways. No. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week when the church met, this was one of the things we did, and so we held on to that. Now, some people will say, yeah, but if you do it every week, it loses its meaning. Let me tell you the truth. If my wife kisses me every day, that doesn't lose its meaning. Every day I'm grateful I got another one. And we want you to understand that we take the Lord's Supper every week. It's not because that's the thing you do before Mark preaches. No, it's the thing we do to remember why we listen to preaching. Because without Jesus, we're hopeless, we're lost, we're broken. And so today, I don't want to correct you. Today, I want to refresh you. Jesus handed the glass of wine and he said, share this. And he broke the bread and he said, eat this. This is my body. This is my affliction. This is my suffering. This is my blood shed for you. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your political party, your power, your status. None of that matters. What matters is, are you washed in the blood of Jesus? He said, my blood, my body broken, my blood shed on the cross is for you. And it's really easy also to turn this into the moment that we say, oh, this is the part in church when I feel bad about myself. No. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of you. And it's not our solo moment. We spend all week getting ready for this moment. And if you're not spending all week getting ready for this moment, you've misunderstood this moment. Because as different as you and I may be, you may be female and I'm a guy. You may be older than me or younger than me. You may be richer than me or poorer than me. I grew up in Indiana. Some of you grew up around here. We have all of these differences, but the one thing that we gather every week that's guaranteed makes us the same is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We can disagree on 1,000 things, and we will. We get this thing straightened out, and we remember why he offered us his body and blood. Today, as a community of faith, we do one thing with unity. One faith, one Lord, one God, one hope, one baptism over everything. We're inviting you this morning. After I pray, as the emblems are passed, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of him. Oh, what a gift he's given us. What an opportunity we have to be refreshed in the love of our king. Let's pray.
Father, we receive today. We receive Jesus' goodness, Jesus' faithfulness, Jesus' body and blood. He went to that cross so that you and I could remember each and every day of our lives how to center our hearts, minds, and souls on who he is. Today, Father, we will take and eat of the sacrifice that you gave us, that final Passover night where the body and blood is no longer on a doorpost, it's on our heart. We give our minds, our hands, our souls to you. Today, as we take and eat and take and drink, may we know the privilege and joy of being your children. And Jesus, one day in your great banquet hall, you will raise a glass of wine again, and we will all praise your name for every promise being fulfilled in you. Today, we taste a little bit of heaven as we eat and drink in remembrance of our King, our Savior, our Lord, our Passover Lamb. Jesus, in your name, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.